Welcome to Emergency Podcast, number two of this offseason for Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Linger, joined by Ryan Top and Brad Ford. For the big news of the week, we decided we had to jump in here right away. Cue the sirens. Guys, how are you doing? Yeah, I feel like Sandstorm should be playing or something. Like, just like total obnoxious club music. Oh, I was pumped. I was in San Diego when I found out with... Uh, Gabe Stoltz, who many know from Brewers Twitter and from filling in on this podcast before and Disciples of Euchre. And we were going nuts. We were eating lunch at our table. And like that high has carried through to this very moment. Yeah, lot, definitely lots of excitement, lots to talk about. Uh, we'll get to the big news of Christian Yelich's extension with the Brewers in a minute. But first, $200 million can buy a lot of Fantasy Factory. And we are sponsored this week by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know the great beers like Dragon Flute and Block Party. They're unveiling their new Horse Face Pale Wheat Ale this Friday. You can head to their taproom on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side to try that out for yourself. You can also get a deal on Carbon 4 Merch online using our promo code MKE Tailgate at Carbon4.com. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support the podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate ball and glove and above patrons get the monthly minor league extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers off season as we get close to the NFL draft. Patrons also get question priority here on the program and we've got a lot of Patreon Patreon questions about Christian Yelich and the extension here. Uh, when you become a patron, you also get a personal shout out here on the pod when you do sign up. And as always, you can help people find us by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So let's just get right to it, guys. The The team won't officially announce it until Friday. Uh, they scheduled the press conference, but they're about to hand out the biggest contract in franchise history, signing Christian Yelich to a deal John Heyman says will be worth up to $228.5 million. That breaks down to the original $12.5 million he was scheduled to make this year, $14 million next year. Then after that, $26 million per year through 2028, another $20 million mutual option for 2029, and that has a buyout of about $6.5 million. So lots of big numbers there. I guess what is your first initial reaction? Uh, Ryan, why don't you take it away? I mean, I was absolutely floored. I, I think most people were kind of stunned. I was stunned. I didn't think there was really any chance this was going to happen. I had sort of resigned myself to the idea that we were going to be doing this dance over the next few years of will they or won't they trade Yelich and how that was all going to play out. And I was all ready to deal with the nonsense that was going to be trying to deal him and deal with the uh, lockout or strike, whatever it ends up being and that we think is coming in 2022, that that was going to be this whole complicating factor. And it all just like went away in a poof. And so I was I was just absolutely floored. Uh, it was really great, by the way, because I was watching Liverpool lose to Chelsea, and all of a sudden this thing pops up on my <laughs> iPad, and it, like I'm I'm sitting there with my head in my hands, going, "This is, they just keep losing, even though they're having a great season." But I saw this and went, "Oh my god, I cannot fathom this is happening." So that got me out of the doldrums of that really fast. So that was fun. I'll never forget where I was like watching that game when I heard about this. So that's kind of cool. It is like that big of an event sort of in if you're a hardcore Brewers fan, like we all are, this is the kind of thing that you will remember, like, you know, what you were doing, what was going on when you heard this kind of news, because it's, this is monumental. 
Yeah, it's like right up there with the day that they traded for Christian Yelich and signed Lorenzo Cain on the same day. It's kind of right up there in Brewers lore now, I think, just because it was just about that unexpected. Uh, Brad, you said you were dancing through the streets of San Diego. What are your thoughts? More or less. Uh, so obviously I was incredibly ecstatic. Actually, I sat down to lunch with Gabe and about 30, 40 minutes beforehand, he asked me, is there a chance that Brewers sign Christian Yelich to an extension. And I looked at him and said, nah, nah. That's all I said. <laughs> 40 minutes later, Kyle Lesniewski from Brew Crew Ball, uh, everyone can pronounce his last name fluidly. Uh, he tweets or he sends a message to our group chat for that we have for Brew Crew Ball and says, holy crap. I look at Gabe and I'm like, there's some something big just happened, but it won't load because I have US cellular and I'm in a different state, which means that I'm <laughs> on a stranglehold. Oh, yeah, I've been there. So I'm waiting for it to load. I see it and I slam it in front of Gabe and we're, we just go crazy. Like it was such big news. <laughs> we're calling like friends and loved ones and letting them know and like screaming it out to the heavens. Like, holy crap. I can't believe he signed for this, especially when I predicted that he'd signed for like 300 million. And the only way they do it is if Mark Adonazio stepped in and demanded that it happened. So to have this is a huge thing. It's nice to have as a face of the franchise is fading into the end of his career to have a new face of the franchise who's going to be around for the next decade and represent a new era of brewers is something that's fantastic and it's always nice to have that as a fan to know that you have this reliable face that's going to represent your fan base and you know that he is a stand-up guy you know that he is a uh, i shouldn't say stand-up guy that's gonna blow up my face later on because all <laughs> athletes will always disappoint you but you know that he is a great hitter a great player uh, has shown a love for the city it's been fantastic to really kind of see and celebrate what this has meant for milwaukee brewers and the fan base yeah, I don't want to say this seemed impossible, but it was very, very, very highly unlikely, right? Like, when I closed last week's episode saying we'll be talking about another extension this time around, I had no anticipation this would be it, right? Um, right. Because <laughs> you know, you're uh, not this. Exactly. Like, there, there are so many reasons why I thought this just wouldn't happen. And I ended up writing about it on Brew Crew Brawl, you know, like... Whether it's because, you know, signing somebody past the age of 30 doesn't seem like something David Stearns would want to do or whether it would be, you know, Yelich wanting to play out these next few years and cash in on on that sort of like Mookie Betts is going to do after this year or, you know, kind of like to, to Ryan's point that maybe they just would have traded Christian Yelich instead of signing him long term. Like all those reasons are were extremely plausible at the time and instead we come away with with this news that he's going to be around pretty much for the rest of his career well we um, just talked a couple weeks ago about the idea that yelich wanted to be like a big baseball star like he wanted to be bigger than just like kind of the right the closed atmosphere i guess that the sport is right now like where the top athletes in baseball aren't really like big time megastars in the larger sports landscape the way that you know they obviously would have been in generations past and exactly. Yelich wanted to break out of that, and it seems hard to do in Milwaukee, but he's going to give it a go, and I couldn't be more happy about it. 
just kind of right, exactly. still stunned. You know, it, it still yeah. hasn't really, I keep waiting for it to like fall apart or something that doesn't seem to be happening, but you know, it, it, it it's almost just like weirdly too good to be true. And I'm wondering what details that we'll find out once it's signed that might take some magic out of it. Like when Nolan Arenado signed and he found out he had an opt out as early as he does in his contract, that kind of took some of the excitement away from the deal that he signed for that franchise. And then obviously them ruining his career and making him hate his life in Denver. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeff Bradish for the win folks. <laughs> uh, so you, like I'm waiting for that other shoe to fall where we find out that there is a temporariness to his commitment, but at the same time with everything that Yelich has said in the past, all his commitment to Milwaukee and saying he enjoys it. He enjoys the fans. He really loves being here. You wonder if that's really that shoe's ever going to drop. Obviously there will likely be a no trade clause because I think every superstar wants that in their contract, but there might not be that place for him to leave halfway through the nine years and every year after that. That yeah, that would exist. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear that. The other big thing, we do know that deferred money is part of this. But as of Thursday night's record here, we don't have any information on that. John Heyman tweeted a couple hours ago about the structure of the deal, which James read off there. But we still don't know exactly what the uh, what the, the deferred money is going to look like. And I think we can kind of infer if you look at Ryan Braun's deal, the way that that was structured, Braun ended up with, I think it was between three and four million deferred in each of the the last five years of, you know, the second deal that he did. And he's going to be paid those out. What is it like one point eight million every year for, for the next nine years, I believe. Yeah, for the next decade, basically, he's going to be getting that paid out. So you'd kind of if you scale it and say Yelich is maybe similar to that, though, there have been some really weird ones. If you look at Max Scherzer's deal or uh, who else in Washington? I think Strasburg signed a pretty heavy deferral. Yeah. Corbin too, I'm pretty sure. I think I think Scherzer and Corbin's deferrals are pretty much lined up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's going to be some significant deferrals there, but that doesn't seem to be it's not going to drastically change what this deal is going to pay him. It may end up nudging down. Because I think if you like nudge uh, Scherzer's present value based on those deferrals, it takes the deal down like like 10, 15 million dollars in terms of you know current value of those dollars. So it's not anything drastic but it, 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 there will be something there so we'll right. be watching for that right yeah well definitely we'll be on the lookout for that too and what's fascinating is ryan bronze is still going to be paid completely out before bobby bonilla <laughs> <laughs> the bobby like bonilla even, deal of legend <laughs> like that's not even hyperbolic that's not even me just talking trash i think it ends in like 2032 do you know what do you know what Bobby Bonilla calls that, by the way? What? He refers to it as that wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really was genius. After you finish playing, you don't have to really do anything because you have a substantial income that hits every July. And right. Steve Phillips, you know, the the <laughs> the mistake that keeps on paying for the Mets. Like it's just it's unbelievable. Now, the Mets have never done anything wrong, ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> they would never compound their issues, either. No, never. Not at all. All right. Well, part of what made this, I guess, so surprising, too, is just kind of the amount that he ended up signing for. You know, we rattle off the, the numbers, and obviously, for a team like the Brewers, anything north of $200 million is a huge deal. 
But considering that you could make an argument he's the best non-Mike Trout player in the league, the fact that he is signing for, what, $26 million a year, basically, seems like it's a little low. Uh, Brad, do you think this is kind of a discount? I do. Um, maybe not as extreme of a discount as we feel like when you look at how it gets stretched out past the current contract. But I think what makes it a discount is that it's not rewriting his current deal for me or that there's no signing bonus up front that expounds on that money that he's making right now, that he's still making 12 and a half million this year and 14 million this year, I think is what really sets it aside as a huge financial impact for Milwaukee. When you're looking at players who are signing huge deals like, uh, we know that comparably in war over the last couple of years uh, in the NL, you have Nolan Arenado, you have Anthony Rendon, and they just signed deals that were much bigger. Anthony Rendon's older, I believe, uh, than Christian Yelch. I think he's a year older, and he signs a significant deal that ends up costing more than this. So it does seem to give the team a pretty friendly discount when you're looking at a seven-war player but also considering his past, he only has two years of seven like war seasons. And you're looking at a player who hasn't, you know, that consistency, I think, will be in question until he does it for a third year, a fourth year, a fifth year, which is unfortunate because I think two years really shows a substantial in ch- her input change in terms of his production. So it's a, it's a bit of a discount. I would say maybe not as much as it feels like on the surface, though. I think the big issue is you're not... I expected the money to change up front right away. And it it not being is, I think, what benefits the Brewers most of all financially. I think what grabbed people's attention right away was I saw the words Christian Yelich extension and immediately went, okay, for how much, right? And when you hear it's around $200 million, and it turned out to be basically right around that, you're instantly comparing it to, say, the free agent deals that Bryce Harper signed, that Manny Machado signed, where they were up over $300 million. You look at the Mike Trout signing where he was up over $400 million. And this is obviously not that. And I think that you can you can talk about the fact that, yes, the fact that he was three years from being able to cash in and do anything free agent-wise because of the very discounted deal that he had did put the Brewers in a position to get him down. Still, I am surprised at $26 million per year for seven years for what he has done the last two years is a pretty steep discount. I don't think there's any other way to slice that other than saying that's a pretty low-end deal considering that this is almost, it's kind of like the the Harper deal in that it's a fairly low AAV and they're kind of extending it out, but it doesn't even go. Like Harper's goes until he's 40. Yelich, this deal is going to be done. If my math is right on it, he's done and out of this when he's 37. Right. So the Brewers aren't even necessarily paying for those, what you would figure to be really down decline years at the end of it. So I don't think there's any way you can slice this. We're $26 million a year for Christian Yelich, and that's as high as it gets, is anything but a really massive discount based on what he did these last couple of years. So I I think this goes with kind of my expectation. When I had that conversation with Gabe that I talked about earlier, I said, I don't see him signing for under $300 million. What was the number where you two couldn't imagine Christian Yelich signing under that? I think 300 is a, a solid guess, I guess, considering when you think about the, the quality of, of a player, right? He's right up there with Mike Trout or Bryce Harper. Uh, did the difference being obviously that he wasn't a free agent on the open market. Right. So um, 
that that is the big difference but at the same time he's at that quality of player where you would think he would get more than this i would even say like 250 i think would be a line you know and he he isn't even at that point either i don't know ryan what about you yeah i mean the aav thing is it's always going to be a little weird because he does have those two discounted years and they did tear up that third option year and got him up to the $26 million in that option year, which I'm sure was part of, you know, the haggling of this to, to make this work. But man, I, it was really stunning because we all assumed right before we, we saw the John Heyman details on this, that there was going to be some sort of significant upfront boost. You know, remember when Ryan Braun signed his deal, he got, because he was still had four years remaining in the spring of 2011, he still had four years remaining on his current deal. So what they did was they gave him an extra $2.5 million that was payable every April 1st, I think it was, for those four years. So they boosted his, by $10 million, they boosted his current contract as well. And there doesn't seem to be, if, if the reporting on this is accurate, that doesn't seem to have happened here. So, right. yeah, it for, just doesn't seem. For there seem... to be no boost in the like already cheap, very cheap. And I think the thing that maybe makes it more shocking to me now that I'm, thinking about it is that so what that seven years is about 185 million i think we said it was over that seven years yeah 182 give or take yeah 182 million nolan air seven years 260 million anthony rendon seven years 245 million yes they play a defensive premium position in third base but i would rather have christian yelich of the last two years of my lineup than either of them yeah, I think he's a better hitter than either one of them, and I don't know that it's particularly close. I mean, this is a guy who the last two seasons, if you look at his his black ink, he has led the, the National League in batting average. He led the National League in on-base percentage in 2019. He didn't in 2018. Last year, he's also led in slugging percentage, OPS, OPS+. Plus. He has been the best hitter in the National League the last two seasons, and it isn't particularly close. Like, you know, nobody is really particularly close to him in now, like Bellinger jumped up this year and was, but over that two year period, nobody is particularly close to him. Right. There's only two players since he took off in his monster season, July, 2018. I think it's just him and Trout when you go through and you do all the numbers who produced at the level that they did. Yeah. Because Betts had a great 2018, but fell off to something. Well, I mean, he was still very, very good. good. Like when you're looking at superstar mvp level players it it was more of very good all-star versus mvp yeah it it really is just kind of gobsmacking to think about like the fact that he's doing this at 26 million dollars a year because he was three years away from being able to cash in in free agency is it is really just hard to fathom and it does there's there's a lot of athletes always say this stuff that you know, and I'm sure we're going to get this in the press conference. You guys will have already heard him say all this stuff in the press conference. We'll get the, I love playing in Milwaukee. I, I really want to be here. I want to have a good team put around me. So I want to make sure that like the team has flexibility to be able to do that. All those things. He's going to say those things because those are the things athletes say. And I'm not even saying that he doesn't necessarily mean them. Like, obviously, he, to a certain extent, you don't do this if you didn't want to stay. Right. Because right. the he union is con- out on it. Yeah. Yeah. The union's going to give him grief for this. Ken Rosenthal pointed this out in his very interesting piece that I, I enjoyed quite a bit where he analyzed this deal. There is going to be griping from the union. It'll be behind closed doors and, you know, it'll be probably more directed at the agent than it will be him. 
but there will be griping about it because, you know, $26 million a year for a player who's done what he's done isn't setting any new bar. It's not really pushing the, the cause forward of helping out the players get that next, that next step. So this is going to be somewhat contentious even on that perspective, but he's going to say all that stuff. He's going to say it and he's going to mean it. But really this, in this case, sorry, what I, yeah, he is, I think that there's a case that he is putting his money quite literally where his mouth is going to be when he does, when he says these things, because he, he really is taking a discount here. This is a, it's important to remember too. This isn't the first discount he's really taken either. I think that's what kind of makes it surprising too. He signed a severely under market deal with the Marlins in the first place. Uh, so uh, he's already at that point where he's already earned quite a bit less than he probably should have based on value to this point. And then he's kind of doing this again. Uh, that kind of goes back to the the interesting comparison that a lot of people have made to the Mookie Betts situation where Mookie's gone year to year with the intent on cashing in as much as he can to set that bar for the union, like Ryan says. Whereas Yelich has always sort of signed where he felt comfortable. You know, when he signed that deal with the Marlins, it was before they tore everything down. They looked like they were going to be a great team going into the future. He's kind of buying into that situation again here in Milwaukee. It's just kind of interesting to see him kind of sign that below market deal for a second time and basically lock up the rest of his career that way. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess the, the other part of this, part of what made it surprising to me too, is sort of you guys have both said this, the fact that he had so many years before free agency, not just from his perspective, but, but from the Brewers perspective too, they already had the, his peak years signed away and locked down to below market rates. Are, are, I guess, are you guys, Ryan, are you surprised that the Brewers did this when they did instead of maybe waiting another year to see maybe how his knee reacted or if he could do this again? Yeah, the knee is the interesting thing here, right? Because he did have a, a kneecap fracture and it was the kind of thing where we were pretty nervous when it initially happened and started hearing, well, how is this going to affect him? Because his speed is a fairly significant portion of his game. He is, it is important for him both in the field and on the base paths. He's a, an excellent base runner. It's a big part of his value. Very and, underrated skill of his. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is one of the purest base runners that you'll see. Like he cuts the the corner on the turn from second to home on a single better than just about anybody you'll see. He hits it in stride every time he's really, really good. But a big part of that obviously is speed. And will this impact that, you know, the Brewers had to have felt pretty good. I can't imagine David Stearns, Mark Atanasio at all doing this sort of a deal unless they felt really good about where his knee was at. Right? Like it, it seems hard to believe, but that is kind of the creeping it, like a little bit of negativity in the back of my mind is like, what if this was some sort of a thing where he said, you know, my knee may not hold up and this may be kind of a recurring issue and it. I may never quite be the same player that I was. So it's time to cash in now. I don't think that's the case to be very clear. I don't think that's the case, but it is that nagging worry that you have when you're tossing this kind of through your mind and wondering and, and looking at it from all sides. It is like the, that little nagging thought that I had anyway. I don't think that really bothers me because I know he's been hitting and like starting his routine again since the World Series really was when we first heard him start to take the field and take action again. 
And I know that Stearns, as much of a penny pincher as he can be as a GM, would do his due diligence there to ensure that he's getting the healthiest player. I get where you can think like, well, why? when you're thinking about reasons of why did we get such a discount, you start to go to philosophies such as that. But I think the reason it happened before, two years before free agency is because that's how you get that discount. You guarantee him that money afterwards. And if he has another seven war, eight war season, he is a $300 million player even after he turns 30 regardless. Because let's face it, left field is even as he loses speed as he gets older, the way his offense plays and the value in his defense, which isn't much, um, isn't offense that's as detrimented by age. Yes, there's a lot of value in his base running. Yes, there's a lot of value in, you know, he was a 30 stolen base player and he barely created any risk when he stole the bases last year. But when you're looking at who he is as a hitter, the things that he's done very positively over the last couple of seasons are not things that generally deteriorate from a, especially from a left fielder. So I, I think you look at that, you look at how you can get a bonus in terms of value back to the team. If you're David Stearns, if you sign him and commit to that money before he does it yet again, and the value continues to explode out the roof for him. To be clear, I'm I'm a worrier. I get that from my mom. That like everything, <laughs> there's always like this this little bit of worry in the back of the head, and that's what this is. This is you know a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of worry. Thank you for for putting all of that out there because it is better than what I was saying, and we shouldn't pay attention to my little worries like that. Well, normally well, it's I mean, going to be me, so you know I had to get you this time because you're going to, unless it's a prospect, you're going to be have have to be the one who's like, <laughs> no, Brad, it isn't the end of the world, and grab me by the shoulders to the screen. Yeah, I mean it's 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 all you know it's risky for both sides to do this deal. I think you're going to get that anytime you commit to a nine-year contract on anything right so uh I, I think ryan's perfectly fine to worry about that because it's part of the risk that's kind of built in there and um brad had kind of brought up this point that i wanted to ask about next i guess ryan do you have any concerns about how he'll age on the back end of this contract at all knowing that it is going to take him through his mid to late 30s yeah i mean there's always concerns about that because guys can drop off and we've seen guys drop off earlier than what we're used to we all kind of came of age i'm a little bit older than you guys but not too much we all kind of came of age in the steroid era where careers were better into their 30s than they are now and i think that still kind of informs kind of the way our brain processes a baseball career i think we still probably think of guys as being better later than they generally are going to be for the most part now that the you know the unnatural enhancements are out of the game but Yelich does have a lot of things going for him. He's obviously in incredible shape, as anybody who's seen him in the body issue can attest. Like, uh, the dude does not have an ounce of fat on him, so there's not, you know, that issue. And he has been relatively uh, able to be on the field on a pretty regular basis throughout his career. He did have this, this knee break, which is concerning, but also kind of a freak incident. So it's not like a, a recurring thing. He has missed some time, little things here and there. What, like some back issues? Like occasionally he'll come up with a bulky back, if I'm right. remembering right. Yep. And generally backs don't get better as you age. And he is kind of a guy that like he's putting a ton of torque 
on that body. And like, so there is some concern there, but I still think that given what we know about the brewers and how they handle things, they're going to manage that. And they have every incentive, like even when they didn't necessarily have every incentive to give him all this rest. Remember how much grief people, people went insane when they gave him rest down the stretch in 2018, they set him versus the Cubs and whatever. They clearly are not afraid to do those sorts of things to keep him healthy for the long term. They are going to be cautious and careful and not push him too far. And I trust that he is going to be communicative with them and let them know when he needs time off and when he needs things to keep himself up at that highest level of ready to play. So there's some of that, but not hugely for me. And that's part of talking me down about this, this worry. Yeah, I mean, Brad, you kind of mentioned this to start with, but I guess are you are you worried about any of his skills, whether it's, you know, you, you talked about defense, but are you worried about his bat degrading at all as he gets older? I think the speed will naturally decline. Obvi- well, I, obviously the speed will naturally decline. But when you look at everything he does, I think his he has a near mastery of the strike zone. When you look at his career walk rates and strikeout rates, I mean, he just tiptoes above 20, and then is pretty much well above 10 for his her 20 for his strikeout rate and is well ahead of 10 for his uh, walk rate, which is what you're looking for when you're looking for extreme positives and how someone really is as a hitter. Um, so when you're looking at things such as that, I think it really calms some of the worry when you're looking at someone who just has something that really can't be taught so much uh, is very instinctual when you're playing at such a high level of the game and you're looking at 99 mile per hour, hundred mile per hour pitches to have that type of success is something that's very ingrained. And that's that mental side doesn't really decrease Yeah, I mean, the numbers will go down a little bit, but they don't decrease exponentially like speed will. And then when you're play, a lefty playing in Miller Park until five years from now when they build the new Miller Park, but I mean, <laughs> uh, you, you all already got into that. Um, the power is still going to play extremely well in his current environment. And he should be there for, even if they build a new park, pretty much all of it. Right. And w- looking at what he did in Miami before he even got to Miller Park, he's just always kind of been a good contact hitter, right? Like he, he is a good line drive hitter. I don't think that's a skill that'll really fade. I think it's his approach at the plate. Like you said, Brad, I think it's just the, the type of things he can provide outside of that home run power, I think could make him pretty valuable down the road. And that kind of brings us to our first Patreon question. We, we asked for questions last minute while we decided to do this. Brian Polakowski asked, how much do you think the eventual uh, incoming DH in the NL would give the Brewers comfort for offering this deal to Christian Yelich. Ryan, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's probably a factor. I think they are looking at stuff like that and saying that that will likely help. But I don't think it's a key to the deal. Like, I don't think they they are counting on that because baseball is in a very weird, unsettled place right now. And I sort of get the feeling that Manfred doesn't you know that the way people are going to react because the DH is not a popular with purist and older type fans and it's going to be a controversial issue I I don't know that the DH is necessarily as close to happening as we've all assumed lately especially after this last offseason of unsettledness 
that they're going to go for this other big change. It's going to be, you know, massive, massive headlines, and it's going to cause a certain sort of fan to get really, really angry. So I, I think that they're not counting on it, but it probably will happen at some point, and it will help. When has Rob Madford ever cared what fans thought about anything he did? He cares deeply, and he cares what the union thinks, and he cares what the players think, and he only wants to do what's best for basketball, because that's the sport we're watching, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess, Brad, do do you think, if the DH ever comes, do you think Yelich sliding there kind of helps build some insurance for this deal? Yes, um, I don't think the idea is though that like the DDH is going to come and it's going to be like oh one day we can just put Yelich there and everything will be fine. I think the idea is you know it gives a person with somewhat of a flimsy injury history, not significantly by any means, but there's been a little bit as Ryan talked about with the balky back. Um, a, a couple of things that are up here. They, it gives you the opportunity to rest them and surely stay healthy, but still have that impact bat, and you're kind of doubling up on the rest that they otherwise would get. So I think that's what you look for in terms of creating longevity. We've seen for difference makers that pay large dividends in the AL. Uh, outside of the her steroid era, you still see that where uh, injury-riddled players or players who are aging can kind of extend their careers through the DH. Uh, but yeah, I I think this is a deal you can be happy with regardless of whether that's coming, knowing again, left field and right field are probably one of the least physically impactful positions when you're looking at uh, kind of the long-term detriment. Yeah, with fly balls being more common, the outfielders are doing more work, but aside from what maybe five extreme dives in a season or like collisions with walls you're you're really not looking at huge impacts on the body in the outfield so i i don't know i think you can make this deal without really being too forward thinking and well at least one day the dh will come and then we'll be fine but how long do you think it is away yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. Like in terms of when the DH is coming, I would have said, you know, by the time the next CBA comes around, it'll be part of the game. But I don't feel that way anymore. I think it's just too up in the air at the moment. But I should I do want to say that I think it's not that Christian Yelich is ever going to need to be a guy that has to DH a lot like Paul Molitor did because he was so broken down. And he'd run into so many walls early in his career and he just needed that to stay on the field. Yeah, we get it. You're old or somebody (laughs) or somebody else like where they just couldn't play a position like your David Ortiz's of the world. But I think it will be more beneficial in that if he can DH two days a week, that's a couple days he doesn't have to be in the field and can save his body just that additional wear and tear. And over time, those effects will add up and will keep his bat healthier and will keep him in the lineup on a more regular basis then I think that it seems unlikely that he would get to the end of this deal and have to be like a DH the last three years that doesn't right. that doesn't seem real likely 
Right. It's more of a health insurance, right? It's like break right. on top of break. So mm -hmm. you can get someone like two days of rest, but really one day is a DH. So you're not giving it. And I should say, Ryan, as he said, is not much older than us. But it, it, whenever he brings up the 82 team, I'm going to bust him like none other. I mean, I was three years old, so like I don't really <laughs> remember it. Back in the day. I do remember the 87 team, though. were only on five times a week. I I'm I'm old enough to remember in the '90s, like there being like 30 televised games in the Madison market, and so it was rarely on TV. I waited for the Tuesday paper to get my box scores. <laughs> All right. Well, we have we have some more Patreon questions. Uh, kind of again, looking down the road, Mark Putscarby is asking us, uh, what war does Yelich need to be worth over the final six years of the deal? In other words, uh, the the New Year's added to the contract in order for it to be worth it. Uh, Brad, how how much do you think he'll need to rack up? Well, what his deal currently, once it's signed and official, we'll put him at the 16th overall, I believe I saw for in terms of total value. By the yeah. time those six years comes up, it's probably going to be like 40th overall. So exactly, to that's wild too, right? Like that's. He, he's not even going to be top 15 paid in the league. No, not this. even when he signs it. Um, yeah. So then, but like and I said, by, by that time, you're looking at, especially if the CBA helps fix some of the income issues that are currently going on with it, players coming out of their contracts for their rookie contracts so late, um, which I think it has to. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but it'll fix some of that pay. He'll be middle pack, so three war. Like... It it does uh, I annually like three war when you come down to this because I don't think like Ryan Braun I know we like to balk at like Ryan Braun making almost twenty million dollars but when you look at like the production value that he's gaining he is pretty much in line with what his contract dictates he should be doing he's doing pretty well so I think like averaging three war four war is going to be adequate enough for a person like me to look at it and say like well. It's not bad. It's not great. It's not bad. Um, I mean, if he puts up seven war for most of it, I'll be thrilled. But I think if he averages over that six year period, three and a half war, I'm pretty happy with it still because at that time, the value should theoretically have changed. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt that the value is going to change. A lot of that's going to depend on what the next CBA looks like and how the luxury tax issue is dealt with. Because let's be frank, it's suppressing salary right now. So. I think it's when you think about this, it's one way to think about it is the way Brad was talking about, which is how much per year and three war. Yeah, that that would work out at the current AAV level where that would make sense. But the way that these things generally are shaped, you're going to see a fall off. You're going to see him much higher at the beginning and fall off by the end. And I think that if he, he can also bank some of that value, I know that teams are loath and you know, our former co-host here, JP Breen always liked to point this out over the last year that teams are getting more and more resistant to the idea that the back end of a deal that you're just going to be kind of paying for the front end production teams don't like doing that as much as they used to just accept that was part of the deal. But I think that you're probably looking at a situation where they're hoping I'm sure that he's still a five, six, seven win player in the early years of that deal. So when he's 31, 32, 33, and then that it's going to fall off towards the end. But if he can stay kind of head above water, you know, a win or two in those last year or two, that would make the whole deal very worthwhile for them. 
and they wouldn't really have any problem. The, the fear is, you know, obviously catastrophic injury or just completely falling off the table and being bad for a significant portion of the back end of that, where, th- like Brad said, that does seem somewhat unlikely given his all around game. And like the, like James said, the, the ability to hit the ball makes uh, contact all fields, all that. It does seem unlikely, but that's sort of the downside. But if he can, so three over those six years would obviously be that's 18 war. If he can come up with anything, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 in those six years, it's going to be hard to make any good argument that this was a bad idea, you know, that it didn't work out for them. So, yeah. Oh, but I can't wait for 2028 when people are like, oh, he's making 26 million and he's only two and a half war. What a garbage player. He's taking job from the outfielders. I was actually going to bring that up because if, if he is only three ish war, I think you're going to get some of that blowback kind of like we saw with the Ryan Braun contract too, which by the way, ended up being totally fine. Everybody can lay off the Ryan Braun extension. We saw that a lot over the past week too, with this kind of comparing it to the Ryan Braun deal and Oh, it could turn out as bad. I was it Rosenthal or somebody had tweeted out. Oh, well, Braun and Kane. Yeah, it could turn out as bad as the Braun and Kane deals, which A, Lorenzo Kane's been here for two years and was hurt last year. And, and one B, year he wasn't fine. And one year Kane yeah. was if it wasn't for Yelich, was an MVP candidate. Right. Yeah. I mean Kurt Hogg would tell you he like was 50%. the MVP. Right. right. I mean, defensively and offensively, he was as good of a player as you can get. Then he has a bad back all last season. And he's like, No, I take pride in playing through my bad back. And he's like, Oh, rest. Just rest, damn you. We want the good you, not the so-so you. And even still, his contract's worth it at that value. So what is Rosenthal talking about? When did he become this curmudgeon who's like, Berg, the players are going to make the Brewers regret this? Because Braun has been fine. I mean, really, aside from the suspension, bad. Bad, bad, bad. Uh, And the bad thumb here, like, everything has been pretty damn good. Right. Yeah, he's had to have checkups and well, and so now has Kane. Kane has started to have to deal with that too, though he now has the experience to lean on where Braun can kind of tell him, This is what I experienced and this is what you can kind of expect. So, yeah, freeze your thumb, everything's fine. You put it in a cryogenic chamber and then it's frozen. <laughs> I think that's how it works. I don't know. Science is all past me. By 2029, we'll have some sort of like medical procedure that makes you like your. 25 again it'll be okay yeah by 2029 christian yelich is going to be a cyborg playing on the field right and it'll be who cares animanium bones and everything right yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um so uh we got a couple more patreon questions now i'm gonna go uh with jay googles who is you know we kind of joked about the new miller park but he's asking with uh mark adonacio spending a lot on yelich does this maybe allow him down the road to ask the city for some money to help build a new stadium brad it depends on how dumb you are (laughs) (laughs) um I actually, if they do it like they did last time, the Miller Park tax, I actually think, was the least intrusive way to publicly uh, fund a stadium. For instance, we just had our lease reduced based on the Miller Park tax, because with leases, you actually pay sales tax on the monthly uh, cost. So my wife's lease just got reduced. Do you know how much it was reduced because of that Miller Park tax disappearing? 20 cents. 
<laughs> That's on hundreds of dollars. 20 cents on hundreds of dollars. And, like, people want to act like it's the end of the world. And I get it. You feel like the government's invading. And no, we shouldn't be playing for billionaires' toys. But I really think that's the way to do it because you barely notice it. When they did a survey of it, it was like everyone ended up paying roundabout $5 a year on average when you look at the total cost of what that sales tax added. So, but I, I don't see, like... I think he'll lean on things like that. I think he'll lean on pitches like his loss. I think he'll lean on, oh, well, we, you know, put money back in for to give it longevity and like pushed it to the point where you can take it by doing the revamp of the eating center and everything along those lines. But none of them are good reasons for the public to build you a new toy. You're a billionaire. Build your own toys. Just build it yourself, you jerk. Yep. So the thing on this is, I don't know that like spending this money on this contract necessarily does that for them. I don't think there's like a, an A to B line you can draw here. But this is all part of Mark Atanasio selling himself as this benefactor of the city. He has been very, very, very careful in cultivating his image in Milwaukee as being a guy who wanted to win. And who was going to spend money to win right from the beginning, doing that almost instantly with Ben Sheets. He has cultivated that image and pushed that. And it has been very important to him. And he has, you know, taken advantage of it in a lot of ways. And this offseason, I, I said a few weeks ago that this was sort of a him cashing in a lot of that value to basically allow him to have David Stearns do this experiment for this season. And one thing that I, I sort of realized when I was thinking about this deal on Tuesday night after it was announced was that almost everything we said this offseason in terms of the payroll and everything kind of goes out the window with this, right? Like this kind of scraps most of it. I understand that they're still like, because they're not paying him extra money this year, they still have this extra money that they could have theoretically used to boost things. But it's basically impossible to say that Mark Atanasio is in some way cheap or unwilling to spend or whatever based right. on making this commitment to this player like this and more than doubling the previous high contract because Braun was the previous high contract and that was the Braun two extension. And this is more than double that. So this really is him winning over, I think, a lot of people and will put him in a position down the road if he wants to, to potentially start really ratcheting up the pressure for a new stadium. But we don't know what the time frame of that looks like and exactly like what the, the impetus for that would be, because there's nothing particularly not functional about Miller Park at the moment, unless I'm I just don't understand like how things are going now. I think it, it pretty much is a modern stadium in most ways, right? The roof has never necessarily been as functional as it should be. But. Well, but that stuff is like the decision not to put air conditioning in. Yeah, that matters, you know, five, six days a year or something when it turns into a schwitz in there. Like it gets really, really nasty. But mostly when it pours and they close the roof and you're still get. I have been. I don't know what it is about being like the person who like draws almost the short straw and is just five seats away from the person getting poured on in the like <laughs> five holes in that roof. <laughs> I seem to have that type of luck. Yeah, um, I've seen it where once like, where there was like a, a giant spot where the rain was just pouring in. 
I've seen well, it. And then they had the rain delay. Uh, what was it? Was it last year or two years ago? Yeah. I, I obviously Ryan went into very detail about how he has built up goodwill last week. And I think that was very valid when you're looking at kind of how he's built it up. But it's just, I think there's enough people willing to buy into it. I think there's enough people who buy into pride when you do something like this. I think there's enough people who um, are willing to listen to, Others who say, well, look, he said he lost money and he's doing it for you. I think there's enough people willing to buy into that. Yes, it's a little harder to say because he is extending Yelich and it looks, if you aren't willing to dive into the numbers deeply like we are, it does, when you hear it, it sounds like, oh, well, he put in such effort to keep him for nine years and you're not really looking into the six-year cost of him. It So, like, even though he doesn't, lose money on the contract this year it does make it more I mean, it does still make the whole entire period look generous right yeah it's, do they need to win like a world series is that what the impetus for like asking for a new stadium at this point would be like if they win a world series he could kind of get away with starting to agitate for it i don't i i think the world series is almost like the lock-in for we can ask for it uh, I think he's done enough to ask for it and get the overall support he needs uh, just with the current state of Wisconsin, with the current state of uh, – and I think just fans are still relatively happy. Yeah, they're pissed off that it was only a wild card loss last year, but Mark A has brought you more playoff appearances than you felt like you had before. And but definitely the decade to two decades before that. To be clear, you're not saying he's, you think this is going to happen imminently. Like, this is not something you're expecting soon. No, I think the ask is at least five years out. But let's face it, Miller Park's a 30-year park. It's a 30-year park. It can go 35 years. It's fine. Uh, so I think it's still posturing for it, but I think the ask is still a way out. I think it it's very highly it happens during the Elledge contract. That's an interesting thought for sure. I think I think a valuable something that'll come up too is how will this affect the future payrolls, right? How how are you going to surround him with the talent to stay competitive? Uh, you know, this was a a complaint through the offseason that you have him on the super friendly contract and they're not really capitalizing. How does that change going forward when he's making suddenly twice as much as he is? I think that'll be something to to look at in the future. Um, kind of leads me to our last Patreon question from B- Brian Polakowski. He's asking, who would you want to see locked up next to stay with Christian Yelich? Whether it's Josh Hader, Keston Hira, Brandon Woodruff. Brian, who would you like to see as the next extension candidate? Uh, let's go Hira, Woodruff, Hader. I just, Hader is the best current player of that group. Like he is the highest value player, but he's a reliever and they're so volatile and it's just hard to count on them. So you sort of push that one to the side. Here is the everyday player. He's a potential. I mean, I think he's a potential MVP bat. Like if things in his peak, if things work out as well as I think they could, he, he does have that high of a ceiling. He's going to have to fix defensively some issues to be able to really climb to that elite level. But there's a ton of talent there. Woodruff is also very interesting, but Woodruff is also a pitcher, and he's also a guy who has missed significant time every year. Like, we have seen him miss significant time with injury every year. I 
wouldn't be at all opposed to the idea of extending him. I'm just saying that it's, you know, it's a little more risky. Pitchers are a little bit tougher. And none of these guys are particularly close to free agency right now. So it's not a a pressing need. But here is the one where you could see the value getting such that he becomes a very, very expensive player down the road. And to get him into some sort of a contract where they could potentially buy out a few of his free agent years or have them on club options like the Freddie Peralta deal would be really, really nice for the team if that's something he would want to do. The nice thing for here is I think there have been enough precedents lately set where you can wait another year or two and then do a five, six, $70 million deal. Like Yon Mankata is currently setting up for a five year, $70 million extension with the white Sox. I think that's what you're looking at when you're looking at like a Keston hero type player. And I also think that's the person who was most likely to be locked up. Uh, anyone who follows me know that's uh, it's also the person who I would like to see most locked up because I have the biggest of man crush on the legend Keston hero. Uh, which is probably shocking to anyone who follows me. I'm sure just you don't understand it. But, I mean, I agree with Ryan 100% on this. Hater, you have to throw out the window. I think you can get Hater six years out of him, and you're fine. But he is such a just bottle rocket. The longer you hold him in your hand, the more likely it is to explode and take your finger with it. So if you extend him for eight years... Or even sixty. Even if you only bought out a year free agency, that's another year of substantial risk. That Andy's already worked up value. He's already worked up millions of dollars in value via his arbitration appearance this year. So he is coming out of the gates more expensive than the other two. Whereas Woodruff and Hira, you can buy out those arbitration years and those rookie free agent years which gives you a little bit more money to play with, which is where the advantage came with Freddie Peralta. So I think here at Woodruff are safer substantially, but the club doesn't like to take risks and hitters are substantially less risky than pitchers in every way, shape or form. Woodruff can be a Cy Young candidate. Yeah, but it just takes one significant injury, one significant, even just mental barrier that he cannot break through that all of a sudden ruins him as a player and that's something we've seen in pitchers year in, year out. Can there be significant injuries for pitchers or for hitters compared to hitters? Yes, there absolutely can be. They're just significantly less common, substantially more likely that Hero continues to play up to his, whatever the player he ends up being is and continues on that track with some upward projection. Whereas Woodruff will always, especially being a high 90s thrower as a starter, always hold that question mark of, is he eventually going to break in one way or another? Right. Pitchers break. That's a rule. I think you guys are both kind of spot on where Woodruff is is the riskiest of the three. I honestly think we're seeing Josh Hader's last year in Milwaukee this year. Like, like that's just my personal opinion. Um, I don't see them extending him at all. Aside from the risk thing, I think just the team will have no interest in paying $10 million for a reliever. So I, I think there, it's very likely we'll see him <laughs> gone after this year, which would make, I guess, Hira the most likely of that three to to get an extension. Um, 
And you have to rebuild the farm in some way, right? Like the farm has to be rebuilt. So far, you're struggling to do it via the draft. You're doing an okay job of doing it through international free agency. But those players are going to take a while to develop themselves. If you want to be competitive, you're going to have to have the tools to trade in the midseason to build your roster back up in the week and fill the holes that you have. Every team needs that in some regard or another. And the Brewers are running thin on those chips, very thin to the point where trading Hater can get you some premium trade chips back, some of those mid-tier trade chips back, and frees you of a high contract, which... Well, it's not a high contract first... yet, but it, well, it's trending that way. And, and a contract that is going to be high in the near future. I'm talking trading him in the off-season type uh, scenario where you're trading him and he has the potential to have $10 million next year. And then it only growing contract from there so when you look at it from that perspective you're looking at a player who's only becoming more of a threat to the clubhouse's flexibility and their ability to sign free agents to put together a roster that they like to put together and i don't want to defend it from a front office perspective but josh Hader deserves all that money period no argument period he deserves all of that money but from the way the brewers play the game it's substantially more beneficial for them to trade Hader at a high point before he is costing the team too much and also rebuild the farm, which we thought they were going to rebuild the farm through trading Yelich, and now that's not happening. Right. I think it'll be an interesting PR situation, too, if they turn around and trade Josh Hader a year after giving Yelich this contract. I think you're going to get some of the the worries that you know some of the some of the Facebook comments I was seeing, which is a dangerous game to play. But oh no, it, same old Brewers yeah, stuff. Let's yeah 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 exactly. I think some of the reactions I saw to the Yelich signing were, oh great, it'll be. Oh, Brad's gonna yell at me for bringing up the '82 Brewers, but it'll be like Robin Yount. You'll have him and nobody else around him, kind of thing. You know, I think that's the kind of reaction you would get once they trade Hater. But I, I I'm on board with that. I'm on board with Brad saying. You know, you've got to get these prospects somehow. And obviously the draft hasn't really worked. They're doing good things in Latin America. But when you're signing 16-year-olds, you're going to be waiting 10 years for them to do anything. So I, I, I think that's why we end up seeing Josh Hader traded. I think going back to the original question, if you want to go off the board for an extension candidate, I think Luis Urias might be, you know, if he comes out this year and shows a little bit of anything. I think that's maybe one where you try to sneak in like a 40 million deal over six years or something like that. You know, I actually uh, thought the plan might be with six years of control for Urias and six years of control for Hira. that the plan might be trade Christian Yelich. And by that time you have two seventy hit tool infielders you can extend. So that's where I initially thought the plane was going. Like you acquire those players part, yeah. for, and to think like if Urias and so I think one of Urias or Arcia will work out into being a positive player. Do you two agree? Yeah, I think one of them is going to break through this year. Yeah, I would. I think long term bet on Urias more than Arcia, but it's encouraging so far, at least. Yeah. So we all also believe that Hero is a special hitter. So you don't really need to worry about signing offense as much when you have Yelich and those two up the middle. Yeah, and then you do have a decent filler coming in through the farm that can help you 
add in okay bats, but you can also then have the flexibility to sign okay outfield bats. But I think those guys can be your two, three, four for some time. You have six years of control on your middle infield, and you have nine years of control on your left fielder, who is an MVP hitter. That's significant, and I think that's kind of what they were building the offseason around is those guys, along with then benefiting off the platoon, as we've talked about, and you know a gamble that then you can extend, and that's why everyone's on an option, so then you can pick up the option, and if it works out, you have them for another year. If not, you can cut bait or even trade them midseason. Yeah, I think they're going to end up picking up the guys they like, the ones that look good this year, the ones that have the positive impact, and they'll let the other ones go. And then maybe they'll look at it and they'll look at their payroll and they'll look at their whole situation next year and they'll go, okay, if the market has settled, if there's a little bit less craziness in terms of guys like Mike Moustakis getting four for 64, they may target a guy and say, okay, we can add another impact player here. Right. I think more Yasmani Grandals are coming down the road. Yeah. I think you'll get those guys who are in an, a situation that hurts them where the best thing for them to do is try to bet on themselves for a year and benefit from it. I think the Brewers are the exact type of team to pick up on a player like that. And even if it's a little expensive for their given situation, pick it up and benefit off of the short term to have a potential impact bat for that one year. I think that it's likely that more of those guys will come on down the line. And you know what, having Christian Yelich around, for nine years willing to sign that contract probably says something to those other guys too. Like, Hey, Milwaukee's a pretty decent place to play. I'll give them a shot for a year. You know, it, you saw that with Moustakis. You saw that with Grandal. The word gets around among the players. I, I think that's pretty likely that we kind of see those additions come down the line too. Right. And we've seen them kind of build up a clubhouse with good quote unquote clubhouse guys. Brock Holt is supposed to be, and Eric Sogard are supposed to be tremendous clubhouse glue. And although there is no measurable significance we can put behind that, we've seen many of people say that it does play a role. I mean, unhappy players don't perform well. If you're playing in a situation that does not satisfy you, you're not going to play as well. It's the same thing as us being employees. When we're unhappy at our job, we're not as good at our job. It's just a fact. But when we are happy with our job, we're likely to perform a little bit better. And we've seen that in baseball. We've seen the super teams where there end up being egos fighting. I always like to talk about the San Diego Padres of the like 2010s, where they end up getting Matt Kemp and a few other players. And it it looks great on paper, but it just doesn't work because everyone hates each other and they don't actually want to be there. Uh, you know, they have put together a roster of players who do like being together. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's that's all part of, you know, the benefit of having Christian Yelich around too. It's it's one of those intangible things that he's kind of shown over the past couple of years too, just kind of bringing everything together too. And I don't know if you credit him necessarily with this run either, you know, in the way everybody's gelled, but it can't hurt. No, and it's nobody's nobody's it's, ever had a bad thing to say about him either. You know, you saw all the teammates react and they were happiest guy in the world for him right because he deserves it as a human being first and foremost so i think that goes a long way too in the clubhouse uh, the glue is brent Suter, and we all know it How <laughs> <Absolutely>. you? <laughs> the yeah, raptor absolutely 
Absolutely. Uh, well, we thank you for all the Patreon questions. You can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. And again, patrons at ball and glove and above level, get the monthly minor league extra with Brad and Ryan. You guys got another one coming up in the next week or so. So be sure to look out for that. Yeah. Watch yep. for the call out for questions. Uh, we Eric Logan hanging from Fangrass will be on. So we're uh, really looking forward to that. So uh, watch for the call for questions to get them in. Absolutely. And you'll also get question priority on that podcast and every week here on Milwaukee's tailgate when you do become a patron. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, overcast, pocket cast, anywhere else you listen to those podcasts. And while you're at it, please leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. Uh, we were planning to only do about a half hour on this. We're coming up <laughs> on the hour mark. Uh, so with that, we'll probably wrap it up here. Uh, and, don't worry, we're doing this early, but we will still be back for our normal podcast. We'll record on Sunday, and it'll be our ever popular prop bets episode. So you'll be want to, you'll want to make sure you tune in for that. That'll drop on Monday morning. Until then, we will see you next time on Milwaukee Tailgate.